This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Johnson. And a good, good day to everyone out there listening to the Podium Finish Live on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Rob Tiongson, a motorsports journalist based out of Austin, Texas, who's been covering the NASCAR beat since 2008. I'm so glad that you can join us for another edition of TPF Live as you get ready for the NASCAR season kicking off real soon. Welcome to episode 17 of TPF Live, which, as you know, is going to be a very special one because we're going to be kicking off the real NASCAR season in anger by previewing this upcoming season and, of course, next Sunday's Great American Race, the Daytona 500. I know it's been a long wait, and all of us have been waiting to see these new cars, teams, and combinations out there in full force. And we got a little bit of a sampling of that at the LA Coliseum with the Bushlight Clash. But this time, it's going to count for real starting this week. So we are all so excited. This particular podcast episode is bound to be an awesome one, just because we have such a comprehensive roundtable discussion about the Daytona 500 and the new NASCAR season. It's going to be so amazing to talk about things that really matter for a change instead of testing or a preliminary race at a football stadium, which, of course, was really great. But it's going to matter starting now and for these next 36 weeks. So we have so much to talk about on this program today. And on top of that, of course, we have a very special guest that will be joining us in our hot seat segment. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode as we kick things off. Now, after a week off from our show, due to very good reasons, of course, I'm proud to introduce my friend and my co-host, Nathan Solomon, who's back in action after a really busy week in Radio Row covering the Super Bowl action. So Nathan, welcome back. And how are things going? Things are great. You know, I just got back from Los Angeles late last night, uh, or at the time of recording this late last night. Um, but yes, yeah, super crazy week out there at Radio Row, being able to uh, cover the Super Bowl with uh, the whole, you know, with, with the station and be able to represent St. Bonaventure out there. So um, fun week, uh, obviously, you know, we broadcasted five days from there on, uh, on WSBU, uh, and also we got in Saturday in advance. So I was actually able to go and check out the Bush clash, which is super awesome. Uh, so it's just great, great week overall, but it's, uh, it's good to be back though. Yeah. Well, we're glad to have you back for sure. And, uh, I'm sure you're gonna have some great insights to say the least throughout the show, just because, uh, you and one of our guest co-hosts our panelists, if you will, uh, got to see these cards up close in action. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts, of course. And I'm still envious of the fact that you met Joe Montagna on Radio Row. I would have had a whole conversation about him, about Criminal Minds, but that's another conversation for another podcast um, down the road. Now, the next voices you're going to hear on the Podium Finish Live are actually familiar members of our team. So if you've been on our website, checked out our content, well, then these next few returning guest panelists and one voice who you have not heard yet, well, let's just say that it's going to be awesome to have these individuals discuss about the NASCAR season and Daytona 500. So our first guest panelist actually joined TPF last year, and she herself has a great podcast called Above the Yellow Line, which I think is a very appropriate name title, given the fact that that's what the drivers hope to do uh, during Daytona Speed Weeks. So without further ado, let me introduce our first guest panelist and co-host, Taylor Kitchen. Taylor, welcome aboard to TPF Live. How are you doing today? Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. I hope you're doing well, too. And I'm excited to kick off the conversation. 
as am I. And uh, it's going to be really cool to uh, talk about the, the season in Daytona 500 with you. And uh, yeah, you get to be in the cast seat for a change. So I'm sure that's going to be a nice change of pace. Absolutely. I'm, I'm very excited. As am I. And I'm sure Nathan and all of us are too, to say the least. Now, our next guest panelist, as I mentioned, he was actually at the Bushlight Clash last Saturday and last Sunday, and in fact, got the up-close shots from a rather creative way, but he still got things done, and he's an NMPA, or National Motorsports Press Association, photojournalist, who was our guest on episode six, so we're going to welcome him back, and that would be, of course, Luis Torres, who is heading to Daytona this week. Luis, how are you doing today? Doing quite well. I'm kind of envious that that Nathan got to see Joe Montana, who is probably 1A or 1B in the GOAT category, but that's besides the point. But I'm doing pretty good. I'm looking forward to Daytona, and heaven forbid the weather goes well down there for once. Yeah, you know how Florida can be sometimes, and the forecast, at least as of this recording, kind of took a change for the better. So let's just hope the trend keeps up. But I'm sure it's going to be a great, great Daytona Speed Weeks, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what you'll do out there as you get started on your next NMPA journey with us and hopefully get more awards uh, along the way. So, oh, and I did want to mention congratulations to you, by the way, on those awards. Thank you. I highly appreciate it for sure because it's been a good while since I've won something for my work. So I have to go back to my KUOI FM days. <laughs> yeah, I used to be a radio DJ back in the day since I won one back in 17. Well, this time around, like Taylor, you're you're a guest, so just relax, pull up a chair, and we're going to have a good time here on this fastest hour of racing talk. Now, our last but not least guest panelist and guest host, he's one of our associate editors. He's a really brilliant photographer. And oh, by the way, when you hear our show on WSBU 88.3 FM, The Buzz, or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, he happens to be the man who introduces the show and me each week. So this time, I can assure you, he's a real-life human being. That, of course, is Stephen Conley. Let's hear it for him. And Stephen, how are you doing today? Uh, doing good, Rob. It's uh, good to be here and actually be a part of the show finally. It's taken a while to get on here. But uh, before we get rolling, and I, I know we've got a lot of uh, racing talk, I, I have to... Um, I know as we're getting ready to record this prior to the Super Bowl, looking forward to uh, to the game and um, cheering on my Bengals. So there you uh, go. By nope. the time we uh, this airs, it'll actually uh, we'll have a result of that game. Uh, but we'll uh, it, it's all good and looking forward to talking about the Daytona 500. Me too. Me too. And I was supposed to say before the recording, I was just thinking of the fact that I think you and Taylor are sort of the Buckeye State natives, of of course, that are going to be joining us. So. I would like to think there's going to be quite a bit of interesting conversations aside about the great big game, which, of course, by the time this hits on our podcasting platforms and on our radio show station side of things, wow, we're going to have a new Super Bowl champion and it's going to be a, a juggernaut team for a change. So that could be really cool to talk about postmodern uh, on the show. Now, speaking of our show, like I said, it's going to be an epic one because we're not only previewing the new NASCAR season, but we're also going to preview the Daytona 500. So it's going to be really great just because we have most of the TPF team all right here. So you're going to hear all of their thoughts. Well, I'm more of the moderator in this case. I might chime in here and there. And we also have a special guest who's going to be on this podcast, not only for today, but he's also going to be showing up here and there. And that, of course, would be Mike Snyder, who will be joining the podcast in his segment called 
Slaying It with Mike Snyder, a play on the words, of course, with his primary sponsor, Tax Slayer. So I'm looking forward to hearing all about how he's transitioning over to the number 31 Jordan Anderson Racing Team and what he'll be doing to get ready for another action-packed year of NASCAR Xfinity Series action. Now, before we begin our first segment, let me remind you folks at home or wherever you are, if you are in the lookout for any diecast cars by Lionel Racing or Greenlight Collectibles, who makes IndyCar and movie and TV show diecast cars, if you spend $20 or more in in-stock items or pre-order items that will ship at the same time, you will get free shipping by using promo code TPF2022. So go to circlebdiecast.com and tell Brent and his team that Rob Tiongson and the TPF gang sent you over so that you can get free shipping on items of $20 or more in purchases of in-stock diecast cars, hats and shirts, or any pre-order items that will be shipping at the same time. All right, folks, now that you've heard how this podcast is like, let's get to our big segment, Podium Perspectives. Well, folks, the long wait is over. Daytona Speed Weeks is here, and we can finally talk about action that matters for all of NASCAR's top three divisions. Daytona International Speedway will play host to the season openers for the Camping World Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, and the Cup Series. We're going to start off with Nathan and then hear from Taylor. I want to get your thoughts on these races in terms of which will be the most exciting to watch for the race fans at home. So Nathan, kick things off. Yeah, so I'm going to stick with my the series that I think is always the most entertaining, and that's the NASCAR Xfinity Series, because right now we're kind of looking at a, an entry list of nearly 50 cars, which is kind of like crazy, and there's, there's obviously no duels for the Xfinity Series races, so it's going to be kind of that qualifying chaos to try to get into the race, and there's going to be so many competitive cars, so I'm super excited to see... Uh, see how that race turns out and, and who can qualify in. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of cars that are not locked in yet based off of a, uh, off of 2021 points and everything. So I think there'll, there'll be, there'll be nearly like 20 cars racing or qualifying for 10 spots. So that'll make for, uh, for, for some entertaining, I guess, inter- entertaining racing, if you will, or entertaining qualifying. Uh, and then, then of course the race will be really good. And then, I mean, you can't forget about cup, of course, uh, the Daytona 500, uh, the new car, I'm, I think that the new car is, is going to be great in, um, in in the new Super Speedway package. I was super encouraged about what I saw there in that Daytona test. Obviously, the field size, or I mean, the draft, is, there's only maybe 15 cars in the draft at the most. But once we get all 40 cars in the draft, I think it's going to make for some really entertaining racing, even though the speeds are a little bit slower. I mean, the, the runs seem quicker than ever. So um, this package looks super fun and I can't wait to see it. And then, I mean, really all three series. And I mean, the truck series last year, we saw, um, I guess the lack of respect and, and whatever. And I mean, it made for entertaining stuff on the track, even though like it kind of was like not fair to some of the drivers. Uh, so I think all three series kind of bring its own, um, I get its own way of why it's going to be a super entertaining race. I can't wait for all three, but especially the Xfinity series race. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Xfinity series is going to be exciting just because we don't have team Penske out there in terms of a top four team. And, you know, at this moment, Stuart Haas racing is going to be the most realistic team to get wins with Riley Herbst and whoever will be the driver of the flavor uh, of flavor of the week, rather for uh, Stuart Haas racing's Xfinity efforts. Taylor, what do you think? Which of these uh, season openers are you looking forward to most? 
So Nathan, I was almost on the same page as you there. I usually would say Xfinity just because, you know, the races are always phenomenal for me. That's the most exciting races to watch every week. There's, I mean, there's so much action and every driver is fighting for everything, either to move up to the cup series, keeping their sponsors, trying not to move down, or even just new drivers that have come from the truck series as well. So there's always a lot of action there, but honestly, this year for me, it has to be the cup race for reasons that you mentioned, Nathan. I mean, there's so much new this season in the cup series. we got the gen seven car and we also don't really know how these cars are going to drive all together right now. They did of course, some testing and, and drafts um, earlier at Daytona, but at the same time, we don't really know. So I think it's going to be really exciting to see all that happen, new equipment, new drivers to new places. Of course, for me personally, I'm really curious to see how brackets obviously is going to do this season. Um, same with veteran Kurt Busch, you know, moving different places in their um, later part of their career. And then obviously we have some really exciting rookies that I know we're going to talk about later on the show, but for me, it's a, it's a season of unknowns and to kick it off at Daytona is, is going to be a telling sign of what we're in for this season. Certainly. I think those are great points you brought up, Taylor. And one driver you brought up that I thought was interesting about kind of things kicking off is Brad Keselowski and the number six RFK racing efforts. You know, at the clash, they didn't really show any impressive performances, which was a little bit shocking, but I kind of recalled Brad, Brad saying on NASCAR Race Hub that there's going to be a few times that they're going to struggle here and there and just to bear with them as they get, um, you know, more progress with the team. So kind of a sub question to that for both you and Nathan, you know, do you think Brad Keselowski is capable of turning this team around in a single season or is this going to be a long rebuilding process for that organization? Uh, yeah, I guess I'll start. So I, I think yes, but no. Um, I, I, I don't know if he, I mean, he's not going to get it to a championship caliber team this year, but I think he can make that team competitive this season. I mean, Chris Buescher, he won a race. He's won a race before. Obviously, Brett Keselowski, he's a champion, a phenomenal play racer. So I kind of expect uh, Brad to, to maybe get to victory lane in one of these four super speedway races this year. He's just so talented there and, and, and knows how the draft works, you know, just, just so well. So I think you'll get a win or two and, and get the, at least get the number six team into the playoffs, the 17 team. I'm not sure, but it, it's going to be a long process. I think maybe in a couple of years from now, uh, that team will be a championship caliber again, but it, it's just going to be a long process. Uh, you know, I also kind of looking towards if, if they're going to bring back uh, an Xfinity series team for, for that program for now, RFK. I mean, they had that the Xfinity program, Xfinity series program for so long back when it was Roush Fenway racing, you know, Carl Edwards, Ricky Stenhouse, those guys. I mean, that, I mean, that Xfinity series team used to be, you know, the best of the best. So I think that gets brought back as well, but it's just going to be, you know, I guess an exponential process for that team. But I think that they can co come out and contend. Uh, the six car can make maybe make it to victory lane once or twice. But I don't, like, in terms of championship contending, no. But they can definitely contend to, to win races and be competitive this year. But I was definitely a little surprised, though, about his performance at the Clash. I mean, he was, I mean, he was kind of right there at the back the whole time. So didn't, couldn't really pass anyone. But to be fair, it was very difficult to pass there. And I mean, qualifying was, was the telltale of the week. I mean, you know, some, some of the guys were only passing four or five cars all, all, all race or all, the, you know, in the main event. So, um, I, I, I mean, I think the clash is too early to tell, but, but yeah, I mean, he's not going to have the speed out of the gate that he had with, with team Penske. Certainly interesting points you bring up there about, you know, considering why did Brad struggle a little bit in the, in the Bushlight clash, given the unique circuit that they were on, but Certainly, we're going to be watching just how much he's going to progress and 
how much he has to kind of build up on that team versus what he knew at Team Penske. What about you, Taylor? I know you've been focusing on that on your own podcast a little bit. Um, do you think that Brad's capable of turning this his ship around really quickly or it will be a long process? I think for any team owner, um, and obviously Brad has history being a team owner as well for his own racing team, but I, I think the key is time. Um, I mean, we saw this even with 2311 Racing, for example, even though it is a brand new team and Denny Hamlin has not been a team owner yet, it's going to take some time for Brad to kind of get a handle on it. Um, and I, I think, I think he has a chance to win races. I have him in my bold predictions for the season winning two races. And I think those are going to come from super, super speedway, or I know it's bold. It's very bold, but even that, or maybe like a Michigan or Kansas or something like that. But I, I think uh, agreeing with Nathan here, I mean, it's, it's going to take time, but I think he has the experience to do it. He's wise. He's very methodical and he seems to have a plan and, um, mentioned the talent of Chris Busher. He is very talented. He has potential. And I think, Brad has the capability of bringing them to that level. Um, maybe if not this year being a championship caliber team, I think um, at least Brad, I think has the chance of getting into the round of 16. Um, but I wouldn't expect major wins from the team this year. If anything, maybe a surprise win, but then also too, what Nathan mentioned is the clash. I was shocked. I mean, I had Brad winning the clash. I just thought it would be some kind of Cinderella story winner, just an underdog win um, for lack of better words. But I figured he was going to do really well, and he just kind of stayed in the back. But um, as for all the teams, especially this whole season, but I think Brad really um, nailed us when he talked. Um, but it's patience and in, in, in time. You know, they're going to get there. And I have faith in Brad, but it's, it's going to take a little bit. The thing about Brad is just, he's just such a good long-term visionary individual. I mean, like you mentioned there, he owned the truck team for several years, and that program was a great breeding ground for a lot of today's stars. You think of Ross Chastain, you think of Ryan Blaney, and so forth. I mean, I think even Austin Sindra came through that program years ago. The way I'm thinking about this RFK program and why Brad's such a great fit for them, being a driver and owner, is that he's going to be contributing to NASCAR Cup Series racing once he hangs up the helmet, and he's got this program to his liking where he feels that Ford has another way to build talents if Team Penske has all their cards kind of occupied in their house. So I'm going to be paying attention to that, just seeing, you know, is this going to be more of a uh, slow and steady wins the race type of thing? Or if this really is going to be his, his you know, situation where he's taking more on than he can chew. So I'm going to be watching that particular story angle, not only for Daytona, but for the, the entire season. But I think Brad's a really capable individual to say the least. Now we've got a really exciting rookie class for the NASCAR cup series this year. And it all happens to be an all forward battle that pits Austin Sindrick of the number two team Penske ride Harrison Burton in the number 21 Wood brothers racing effort. And of course, Todd Gilliland in the number 38 front row motorsports team. So this time we're going to start off with Luis and then hear from Steven. Which of these rookie drivers stands the best chance of winning the ultimate honors for the freshman class? Honestly, it's a no-brainer for me. It's Austin Sendrick because I mentioned in, one, in my outlandish ARCA and NASCAR prediction video a couple weeks ago when I was sick during the, for a month, I had time to do it. I said that Sendrick will automatically win rookie year by virtue of winning races before the playoffs. The biggest thing for me, yeah, the clash was his best showing. I mean, he got humbled a lot in that in those heats and last year's qualifiers, which he brought, which one of them brought out a red flag. By the way, I had to plug the red flag ordeal. But I think personally, confidently, 
Cindric, what he was able to show in those few Cubs starts were really promising. I mean, if things went a little in a certain way, Cindric could have probably won the Daytona 500. He might have had a great chance of winning a Road America. And that's where I feel like his best chances is to make the playoffs by winning those road courses. And he's driving a car that is synonymous to success. You had Rusty Wallace, even Kurt Busch for a cup of coffee, even though he wasn't the most standout driver of the two car. But then when Brad took over, he kind of carried the lineage of that and the legacy of that program. And I think Cindric, as far as he's matured a lot compared to where he was five years ago, and he's shown that he's actually a pretty stout racer. And the thing that will that I have a little bit against Harrison Burton and Todd Gilliland for first off for Harrison is can he able to step up to the to the plate with a different manufacturer because he's been a Toyota guy pretty much his entire career leading up to the Cup Series. He's and a lot of people feel like it's a breath of fresh air to have somebody that probably may deliver strong runs on a more consistent basis because. What we saw the past couple of years with Matt DiBenedetto, who will be going to Rackley War this year in the truck series, is that you just have to be consistent and sometimes be mindful and focus on driving rather than on yourself and the whoa, it's me type of thing. And I think Harrison going into this, I think it brings some fresh, fresh breath of fresh air to the Wood Brothers. And I think it will go well, but... I think it boils down to experience and what and what the car they're driving for. And I think Harrison will be able to do some good things, but I think he'll come up just shy of missing the playoffs, which will ultimately end the rookie of the year battle. And as for Todd, he's driving for front row motorsports, which I know they're trying to make progress and improvement over time and find continuity. And that's the thing with that continuity has been an issue for that team, because as you, as you know, since 2019, they've had a rookie every year in one of the cars. You had Matt Tiff in 19. You had John Ernemischek in 20. You had Anthony Alfredo in 21. And now this year, Todd Gillen, who becomes the first driver that was out of the then known as Winston West, now Arca West, to compete as a cup rookie since Brendan Gong in 04. So I have extreme expectations for him being from being the guy that has so much success in the West, had high, high expectations in the truck series. Is he still sort of known as that guy, as the guy who won Marsville that told Kyle Busch to stay in his motorhome? Sure, he won a Coda last year. What he was able to do with front row in the truck series has been phenomenal. And they just and they firmly believe Todd can get it done. I I'm expecting Todd to be a top 25 in points. I don't think he's gonna go can be for wins, but I think he'll have a couple top tens. And fortunately for him, it's a multi-year deal. So he'll have time to grow rather than what we saw with excluding Matt Tiff because Tiff was more or less health issues. Get the foot on the ground, maybe get better over time. And I think more than anything is a good... I'm not sure because when you look at 08 rookies, they came in with the COT and they struggle horrendously, adapted to the new car. I'm not sure how... Going of having these rookies adapt to the new car will go. We'll see. That's my biggest concern with Todd in that regard. At least with Front Row Motorsports, they will hopefully avoid a Harry Potter type situation with the the switch with the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, as I said in our chat room um, internally. So I'm I'm hoping they have some stability on that front more than worrying about winning rookie honors. But 
great points you brought up for sure, Luis, on you know the battle between Cindric and Burton, which we might be actually chron- chronicling on TPF. A little bit of a suspenseful spoiler for our audience members out there about why I'm saying that. We'll get to that at some point. But Stephen, let's hear from you. You know, uh, Luis gave some really thorough thoughts about the rookie class, but who's going to be the one that will win the rookie honors this year, in your your opinion? I think the obvious has to go to Austin Cindric, obviously, just because of his experience and the championship caliber um, experience that he does bring to the Cup Series with what he's done in Xfinity. I mean, the uh, the Cup starts that he had last year, he had a top 10 at the Indianapolis Grand Prix running in Cup. So, I mean, that is something right there. If you look at that, the challenge of that track, his ability to conquer the road courses, as Luis was talking about. But I think the one thing that might maybe lean a little bit in Harrison Burton's favor is the fact that he does not have cup experience or nearly as much as Austin Sendrick. So you're coming in with the new car. Sendrick has uh, had time in this car as well. He's uh, he's tested it. Um, he's had laps in it. And then Harrison outside of the the clash, which I really don't think if you look, take anything out of the clash, you take the winner. That was it. There's, there's nothing that I think you can take from the clash to any other part of this season. So Harrison had, had some struggles obviously, but I think his ability to come in to the Wood Brothers this year, they have had solid runs with Matt Benedetto. You can look at their performance of consistently going up and up and up. Harrison brings in a different uh, different talent, different driving style than Benedetto. I think Burton actually puts the Wood Brothers back into victory lane. He gets that 100th win. He does make the playoffs, and he may just come up just a little bit short to the experience of Austin Cindric, but I think Burton makes this a rookie battle that maybe we haven't seen in uh, in quite a while. We're, we would be happy to see an actual rookie battle that goes down to the wire. I mean – when it comes to rookie classes that really stand out to me in recent memory, maybe because I'm a bit of an old fart in this group, 2002 is probably the best rookie class that I've seen since 1993. And I'm hopeful that this 2022 class, based on what Luis said and what you said, really kind of stands up and delivers in this regard, just because, you know, we kind of have an internal Penske battle a bit with Cendrick and Burton. And of course, Gilliland's out there just like, hey, you know, I might be with Front Row Motorsports but maybe I can pull some surprise moments and front row motorsports and surprises certainly seems to be a common thread with that team. Uh, as we see, seen over the years with Michael McDowell winning last year's Daytona 500. And let's not forget that foggy win that Chris Buescher got in 2016, that got them into the playoffs for the first time ever. So there's so much to look forward to so much to await on that we can predict all we want but the action on the track will speak for itself. But, you know, these are great opinions that you both shared and everyone shared so far on our show. So we've talked about the rookie class and we've talked a little bit about what to expect in terms of the best season opening race or the top three NASCAR series. But let's just focus on the Daytona 500 right now. And perhaps the greatest change with the cup car since 1981, basically four years before I was born, by the way, when the cars were downsized to resemble their street counterparts we're going to be shaking things up quite a bit with the status quo with a next gen car it's no longer as familiar as we've seen since 1981 these cars are radically different there's nothing really alike between this generation and the previous one so while on this podcast you know we're going to be recording this ahead of any opening day preliminaries at daytona 
Let's consider who's going to be among the favorites for the Great American Race. So, Luis, we'll start off with you, and then Nathan, you can chime in afterwards. Who do you think will be among the favorites? Give me like two or three favorites for the Daytona 500. Start off with Ryan Blaney. I think with the momentum he's had the past couple, he won the August race. I can't can't believe I have to say August instead of July Daytona race. Is I'm still getting acclimated to that, but Blaney has been really good at Daytona. He, up until that win in last year, he's had he could have probably won the 500 very early on, but he started to become like the Kyle Busch and the Tony Stewart's and. Terry Labonte's where they have really good 500s, but they can't able to get it done. And hopefully sooner or later for his case, it doesn't end up being like those guys that I mentioned to where they may never win it. Of course, Kyle Busch is still around, but you have Rusty never got it done. Terry Labonte never got it done. Neither did Ricky Rudd or Mark Martin, but uh, Tony Stewart in particular. But I feel like this 500 more than any other is this Blaney's 500 to lose. He's got momentum. Yes, got the new car, but I feel like Penske and Ford are going to be the, the guys to beat, and I think Blaine is going to lead that charge. Outside of the Ford camp, the best one of the Chevys that I firmly believe could see happen, I'm still hopeful Derek Isenhouse Jr. can find a way to get it done for Chevy. Well, it's just so long. So as long as the car is competitive and so as long as nothing escalating happens, we're drama because obviously, obviously people want to say Stenhouse, wherever he goes, he initiates the drama. But it's been from time to time, it still happens. But I feel like when he's on it, he's on it. He's probably one of the more underrated super speed racers out there. So I feel like he has a good shot in it. He may be a dark horse, but I feel I'm confident he'll get the job done. For Toyota, you got to look no further than Joe Gibbs Racing, but I'm not going to go with Joe Gibbs Racing in this one. I feel like this may be a good showcase for Kurt Busch. Yeah, Bubba Wallace, who we saw all throughout last year, he's able to get it done. I mean, he won Talladega, but they were Kurt Busch going to 23-11, and on top of having the Gibbs guys, notably Denny Hamlin, in his in his corner, I this may be Kurt's greatest chance of maybe getting a second Daytona 500 win. And I think it'll be a good start for a new team, new everything. Sometimes you need a new team, or in this case for Kurt, a new team and new manufacturer to get it done. And we've seen Kurt do so with many, pretty much every team he has gone, he's able to deliver big in some capacity or some form. And I think Kurt will get it done for from the Toyota camp. But at the end of the day, my overall pick is going to be Blaney. Solid choice right there. I and mean, we've seen over the years just how competitive Ryan Blaney has been. I think of 2018 in his debut season with the Team Penske camp, how competitive he was and always in the mix. I think he led the most laps in that year before he was relegated to a top 10 finish um, due, to, due to some accident damage in his car. What about you, Nathan? You know, you heard some, heard some thoughts from Luis. Who do you think are your two top two or three contenders for Daytona? Yeah, I definitely like Luis's picks a lot. So I'll, I'll try to stray away from those and, and pick one for manufacturer. For Ford, uh, I'll go with Brad Keselowski, the new kid on the block with the new team, I guess. Um, like I said earlier, I mean, obviously he's one of the best super speedway racers, especially at Talladega, doesn't really have the Daytona wins to his name yet, but he's kind of due for that Daytona 500. Uh, you know, new team, he'll kind of be riding, I guess, the, the momentum or the excitement or, or whatever you want to call it from, from joining that new team. So I, I think Brad Keselowski could get it done from the Ford camp. 
Um, from the Toyota camp, I mean, I think you'd be remiss if you don't if you don't say Denny Hamlin, who's won what three out of the last five Daytona 500s, I think it was three of the last five or six. You know, quick math, but uh, but I'll go with Bubba Wallace. So you know, he's one of the also one of the more underrated super speedway racers. Obviously, won Talladega in the fall. Um, he was in contention last Daytona 500 before. Obviously, the pit cycle he got kind of put a, got trapped a lap down, and like he's always been, he's always been a super good super speedway racer. I mean, his first full time NASCAR Cup Series race in 2018, he almost won the Daytona 500, which is super crazy. For Chevy, I mean Chevy, there's there's a lot of um, a, a lot of guys that, that can always come out and win it. Um, let's who, who am I gonna go with for Chevy? I like Chase Elliott. You know, I think I, I think Chase Elliott. Uh, you know, he, he's had some super, super, super speedway success before. Um, you know, he kind of had a little bit of a down year in a sense last year where he didn't have any overwinds, just those two road course wins, but still made it to the championship four. So for Chevy, I'll go with Chase Elliott. Solid choices by the manufacturers, Nathan. And I think of the Hendrick crew, you know, I definitely think that Chase Elliott is probably the most aggressive and most confident when it comes to super speedway racing, just because he doesn't mind mixing it up there. He doesn't play it safe. And, you know, even if his car is off, he tries his best to be towards the front versus riding in the back until those final 20 or 30 laps in the race. So I'm looking forward to seeing how your picks play out. And Luis, I'm looking forward to seeing how your Blaney prediction plays out here in the Daytona 500. And speaking of Kyle Larson, he's the focus of our last topic here on Podium Perspectives. So Kyle Larson's hoping to replicate his incredible efforts from last year as the defending NASCAR Cup Series champion with those 10 points paying race wins. But he's going to have some heavy competition in terms of the new next gen car and of course those driver and teams who are just so hungry to exact revenge with his incredible year last year. So let's hear from Taylor first and then I'll chime in a little bit. Taylor, who do you think stands the best chance at dethroning Kyle Larson from another championship victory this season? So I think we have to look at two teams here. Now for me, I'm going to cross off Stuart Haas racing right away. Um, obviously they struggled last year and they're going to have, they're going to have a rebuilding year. I think, um, you know, Roush Fenway Kozlowski, not really a championship contending team yet. We talked about it maybe in the future, uh, maybe in a few years, per- perhaps Penske too. I think they're having a building year. I mean, Brad is gone. He had a really big grasp on the team. Um, you know, we have Cindra going to the two. Joey's going to have to be the head of the team. Blaney obviously is showing a lot of strength, but I'm going to take them out of the equation. So I think we're looking at here, of course, Hendrick Motorsports, the rest of Kyle Larson's teammates. And we have to look at Joe Gibbs racing as a whole. Kyle Bush was actually the first driver outside of Hendrick to really take the fight to Hendrick Motorsports last year. He was the one that broke that winning streak that they had. So I think we have to look at Kyle Bush, obviously Denny Hamlin, as he took the fight to Kyle Larson for the championship last year. He was pretty close neck and neck with Kyle Larson and points for a good portion of the year. And then Christopher Bell, I mean, he, he's young, he's newer to the cup series, but he has talent. I mean, my goodness, he won the Daytona road course last year. And we were all like, what in the world? And I will have to say, first off, I really did not have a lot of faith in Christopher Bell. And he proved me so wrong last season. He made, he did amazing. And of course made it into the playoffs and made it farther than for me personally, I think he would have gone. So for Jacobs racing, I mean, we have to look at them. And then of course, For Hendrick Motorsports, I'm going to be looking at Byron, actually. I think he had a really good building year last year, getting some really good stats, consistent top fives and top tens. He had a really good streak going for top tens. And obviously, Chase Elliott, I'm expecting a little bit more from him this season. I believe it was Steven that mentioned um, that he had a little bit of a break year last year. Maybe it was Nathan, but um, that he had a a little bit of a rough season last year. And um, I'm expecting him to at least win an oval um, this coming season. 
Um, but I think he has a drive and a hunger to be better than Larson. And I think maybe last year was kind of an, a wake up call for him being like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not the main guy on the team anymore or, Oh crap. Like I I've got competition now on the team. We got to go. Um, I would say Alex Bowen too, but I, I think he, he has some work to do. Um, and I'd like to see him do a little bit better. Obviously last season though, I mean, he won quite a few races. I just want that consistency from him and then maybe he can take the fight to Larson, but um, in conclusion, we're looking at Joe Gibbs racing though. And of course, I think from his own team, Elliot and Byron, those are some great thoughts, Taylor. And I really think that what you said, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same as they say out there. And, uh, you know, just besides the fact that the next gen car may be the only element that's changed, the players are going to be the same. And certainly if that plays out, it's not a bad thing just because last year's playoffs were really good. And those cutoff races that decided the championship four at Phoenix were really dramatic and fun, no matter which team and driver were having their backs against the wall. So definitely I'm looking forward to seeing how your predictions play out here. As far as my predictions are concerned about who can dethrone Kyle Larson from another championship, we talked about kind of how he has to face the battle within Hendrick Motorsports with Chase Elliott, William Byron, and hopefully Alex Bowman, if he finds a little consistency. I'm going to throw another name out there that I think can really stand out. And it's a name that Luis talked about for his Daytona 500 pick. Kind of a surprise direction I'm taking this. But I think Ryan Blaney has the best chance at challenging Kyle Larson and his number five team just this year. Just because, you know, Joey Logano, I see him as now the lead team Penske driver. And that's a lot on his shoulders to carry on after Brad Keselowski moved, of course, to RFK Racing as an owner driver. And while Logano is certainly capable of, of coming back into the playoffs, getting those wins that he usually gets at his reliable tracks and maybe the Bristol dirt race again, uh, Ryan Blaney really stands out to me just because he's maturing as a driver. He's becoming much, much more confident and, you know, he's really steady behind the wheel too. You know, we saw, we saw his victory at Atlanta on the abrasive surface. Unfortunately, now that's changed over to uh, a much more steeper and narrow banked Atlanta motor speedway with fresh pavement, but still, it's a super speedway type of race and you have to look at it as if there is now more super speedway races for Ryan Blaney to win. So to me, this makes him a much more dangerous driver in terms of threatening the Hendrick drivers and the Joe Gibbs drivers who usually contend for the playoffs. So I'm looking for a lot of big things from Ryan Blaney this year. And certainly I I'm looking to see how he gels with crew chief Jonathan Hassler who had some success last year working with Matt Benedetto with the number 21 team last year. So it could be a year between Larson and Blaney or in the sci-fi world, a little bit of young money versus young Ryan Blaney. A lot of young battles this year, despite the fact that both of them are getting near their thirties. A little joke at Ryan Blaney, of course, but in any event, folks, I hope you've enjoyed the latest edition of Podium Perspectives. We're going to have even more fun because we're going to be heading into the hot seat. Now, today's hot seat guest will be a recurring friend to the podcast and TPF, as he'll give his perspectives about life in the NASCAR Xfinity series with Jordan Anderson Racing. Prior to the start of the season, I caught up with Mike Snyder as he prepares for his third full-time NASCAR Xfinity Series season. While he's got a new team to adjust to in terms of protocol, procedures, and of course the equipment, 
He's excited about the possibilities with his new team. So without further ado, let's hear from Mike Snyder right now in the hot seat. Mike, before we kick things off, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, kick off your journal with us at the podium finish. How are you doing and are you looking forward to kicking off this racing season? I'm doing great, Rob. Um, yes, I am absolutely looking forward to Daytona. Um, you know, the soft season has been absolutely fantastic with, uh, you know, getting to know Jordan, um, his team and everybody on there and uh, the crew chief, like it's, it's been phenomenal. And um, just all the stuff that we've been able to do and all the preparation that we've been doing. And it really, you know, it gets me excited about uh, this whole season. So, um, you know, I, uh, everybody's behind this. Everybody's got a lot of fire and passion for this. And so it's just really refreshing to see, you know, you know, a team owner, especially who puts so much work into his race team. Um, you know, a crew chief is so passionate about this. And so, um, I couldn't be more excited for the way this year's uh, shaping up already. Yeah. You're finding yourself in a really cool racers type of team. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here, uh, in the journal, because, uh, Jordan's certainly somebody who has built his, little empire of his in the last 12 years. And now you're going to be one of the key parts of growing that team. So pretty cool to see um, as we get into the new racing season, which is kicking off in two weeks as of this recording. But when they read this, it's going to be Daytona pretty much. Uh, And you're coming off a season where you finished ninth in the point standings. And of course your highlight was that victory last year at Homestead Homestead Miami Speedway. Um, so what are some of the experiences from last year and racing over at RCR that you're looking forward to bringing over to Jordan Anderson's team? Yeah, it's just kind of knowing, you know, what I need to go fast. Um, that I learned a lot about that last year. Um, you know, knowing how to lead a team effectively um, and really just kind of uh, working together with a group of guys like this. So, you know, uh, there was a lot I learned last year and a ton I can take from RCR and bring it to Jordan Anderson Racing this year. So I think that's probably where they need to be. And that's this is where I need to be. You know, it's um, I think I've discovered over the years that I kind of do better you know, with a team that I can kind of really, really feel in sync with, you know, people that I can feel that I can vibe with and, you know, people who, you know, it feels like a, a tight knit group of friends, you know? So um, I think that's, that's really important to have on a race team. And so uh, I have found nothing but that, you know, with, with Jordan's team and all the guys are racers and, you know, we, we, uh, we want to go out there and win, you know? So it's, um it's already been so much fun to get to know everybody and, you know, I, I'm already taking a lot of stuff that I learned from RCR and bringing it to um, bringing it right to Jordan Anderson Racing this year. And I think we're going to have some success as a result of that. Oh, I think so, because this is just a perfect fit, to say the least, as far as, you, you know, your situation and Jordan Anderson growing his team. So I think it's an exciting combination. And I think of a word that Kurt Busch used when he got into a new situation about 10 years ago, he's like, I want to find the fun in racing. And that's certainly something I can see um, during this interview that you have a lot of excitement about um, this new situation. And one thing that's going to be familiar with this new situation is that you're still going to have your familiar partners uh, with the, the, the team. You know, you've got your connection with Louisiana hot sauce, and I got to say, because it's tax season, tax slayers are going to still be around, as you can see with your hat. So, you know, you've grown, you've grown up in a racing family. You know, your grandfather was in racing. Your dad, of course, is a great journalist and reporter with NBC. You know, with those experiences you've had being a third generation racer, you know, what's it like to build these unique experiences with your sponsors as well as those within the sport? Well, technically, uh, Rob, I'm actually a first generation racer. Now I am a, I am a 
um, I am a third generation uh, person in the racing, in a racing family, but you know, we all, we all have done different things. So my grandfather, uh, he owned, um, he owned car dealerships in the, uh, in the Piedmont triad area. And he was probably one of the first guys who would lend out his cars for people to go race. Um, you know, uh, so it's, it's really cool to have that kind of story in my family. And then of course my dad got into racing as well. And so we've all just kind of been, my family's just kind of been around racing. Like we haven't really, um, you know, obviously my dad has been a great reporter, um, throughout the years, but, uh, you know, I'm the first person who's decided to go racing in, in the Snyder family. So, um, but yeah, you know, it, it's really cool to, like I said, to have that story and, you know, kind of have <laughs> finished the trifecta, I guess, of doing things on the sides of racing. So yeah. Um, hopefully I can make it a, a long one, a long career in racing. I was going to say when you approached your father and your mom, of course, about being a race car driver. I would imagine it was a little bit easier to try to sell that as a kid versus if your dad and your mom weren't in racing and you're like, I want to be a race car driver. They probably would have had a few more, a little bit of reluctance, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, I, I look at a guy like my roommate, Ryan Vargas, who, you know, he grew up in California and was nowhere near the world of racing. And, you know, obviously they had Irwindale Speedway and Auto Club Speedway, and he had to figure out a, a way to get into racing. Whereas, you know, I grew up in, around it and I had people I went to school with that raced. And so it was, it was always just around me. So it was kind of simple to really get involved. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, luckily my dad, you know, when probably when I said that he was like starting to think like, man, this is, it involves this, this, and this, and how do we make this happen? So, um, so yeah, it, it's been a, it's been a long journey to get to where I am, but, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, if, if people were to have looked at me at the start of my racing career, I don't think they would have guessed that I would have made it this far. Um, so, um, this is really just a, uh, icing on top of the cake really to be in this stage of my career and, you know, with a full-time Xfinity team and, you know, have the opportunity to build something like this with, with Jordan. So, um, yeah, that's just, that's a lot of what I'm excited about this year. I was going to say, while you were talking about your journey, like, I don't think I've seen a clip of you yet on YouTube when you were starting off. I don't know if you watched like some videos from Frisky Nixon or NASCAR Nixon, whatever he's called. And he's, he's compiled a lot of these clips of today's drivers, but when they were basically babies at NASCAR. So I was like, where can we find a clip of Mike Snyder when he was just starting off? And I'm, I'm unsuccessful in those efforts. Hmm. I'll have to, have to give him a few references to look up. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, maybe that'd be a good uh, thing to show for uh, before Darlington, which is just around the corner, but right now we're still stuck in the uh, gloom of winter, but we're going to make it bright and happy here for sure. Now kind of taking it to a different direction, because this question comes from one of my writers he wanted to know, what did you learn about racing over in Europe in the NASCAR Euro Series that has applied to your efforts here in America in the NASCAR Xfinity Series? Well, um, Europe was a really unique experience. Um, they they take racing so seriously over there. Um, and granted, we do over here, too, but just in, in different ways. So, like, they're, they're the types that, you know, will be absolutely eyes locked on the racetrack, you know, no break in focus at all. Um, and then once they're out of the racetrack, they'll go and take a two week summer vacation and then just have a great time. So the, the Europeans are fun, but, um, yeah, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, driving styles and how to get the most out of a car on a road course and how to set up corners and all that. And, you know, I, I always considered myself a decent road course racer even prior to that, but that really kind of helped to elevate my skills even higher. So, um, you know, that was a good experience. I got to go to a lot of historic racetracks, you know, like Hockenheim and Brands Hatch and 
um, even some cool newer tracks like the Venray Half Mile Oval in the Netherlands. So, um, you know, if, if NASCAR is ever looking for a, uh, a place to go in, in Europe, that I, I like that place. So, um, yeah, it's Europe was a really great experience. And I learned a lot about, you know, how to apply myself as a road course racer. And um, it's transferred a lot over to the Xfinity stuff. Yeah, I've noticed that. I mean, when I was at the Roval last year, you were in the thick of things in the top 10 all race long. It was not like you lucked into strategy. You showcased some of that prowess from the Euro series in the, at the Roval. So I was quite impressed. And it's a good testament to how that series really carries over into stock car racing here in America. So that's really cool. And I'm wondering, you know, as we get along, you know, with the NASCAR Euro series season later on, just how much of those drivers might be thinking, well, if Mike could do it, maybe I could do it too, if I get that chance. So would be awesome to see, you know, throughout this season and in the future. Um, this other question comes from my other writer. His name is uh, Matt Sisler. He wanted to know, it's been quite a, a year since your first victory at Homestead, but how big, of a, how big of a victory was that for you? And what are some of the lessons that you've learned since that victory? Well, you know, a, a lot, actually. I have learned a lot. Um, it, it, I'll start with the race. So, you know, prior to um, prior to that, well, I guess prior to 2020, uh, Homestead was always a difficult racetrack for me because I'd only ever run it in trucks, right? So um, trucks, I feel like it's a little bit of a different animal because obviously when I raced them, they had steel bodies there. I think they're moving to composites this year, but uh, when I raced them, they had steel bodies. So you'd be really careful about hitting the wall and, you know, doing what you could to get the most out of it. So it was like, it was a big deal to get up right, right up against the fence. So I never really got good at it per se. And so uh, when I ran in the 93, in 2020, I just went there with a mindset of, all right, I'm going to figure out how to drive right on the fence. And I don't care what happens. It's I'm going to figure it out. And literally, as soon as I kind of thought about it that way and just started trying to do it as best I could, um, it came to me like that. And I, I got right up against the fence and it was like, wow, this is not as hard as I thought it was, you know? So, um, and then I, sort of was for the first race because they ran those two races there in 2020 um for the first race i was kind of just figuring it out getting better at it slowly and i think we were um we were we should have probably finished top five that day but uh somehow there was a confusion on who was a lap down and so we ended up with tires but we were the first car lap down and while the, all the leaders who had gotten tires were racing i was just kind of sitting there like with with tires a lap down like all right i guess i'll just save these for tomorrow so <laughs> Um, and then the next day that was even better. Cause I think we ended up seventh, but probably should end up top five again. So that was like, that was a really big moment for me. Cause I was like, wow, I can really get a lot out of this race car despite it, you know, being supposedly a, a 20th place car, you know? So, um, so that was, that was a big moment for me. Um, and I was able to take those lessons that I learned from that race to the, um, to the race last year. So we weren't actually, we were sort of okay all day. Like I, um, I think I was probably seventh to 10th most of the day and kind of just figuring it out. But um, when it came down to the last green flag run, it, we had the longest green flag stretch all day. And um, that was probably, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 laps, maybe. So it gave me enough time to really get on the fence and really conserve my tires at the start and really work what I knew to get up there. And I think we ended up third before the caution came out with about four to go. So um finally we were able to get some tires and then obviously the first restart happened and i sort of spun my tires a bunch and fuddled it up fuddled it up a little bit and then i was like all right 
I got to, I got to just make sure I get a clean start no matter what happens. That way I can get the most power. So I did that. I didn't, luckily Tyler didn't get too far away and I was able to get to his quarter and drag him back and then get away. And then was able to pull away out of the first two corners. And from there on out, it was uh, to victory lane. So that was, that was a really awesome moment for me. And, um, you know, that was a big moment for me because I was like, I was like, man, I haven't won a race prior to this. And, you know, I got to make something happen this year. And so luckily I did make something happen. So that was cool. Um, and it was a big moment for me. So, but as far as, you know, what happened the rest of the year, it was a lot of learning, you know, a lot of learning, you know, what I need to go fast in a race car and a lot of learning, you know, what I need in here to go fast in a race car, you know, cause I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, half the, half the performance happens off the racetrack, you know, it's research preparation mentality, all that stuff. And so you get to the racetrack and, you know, you can, you can have a great mentality or you can have a poor mentality and that can really make or break your day. You know, racing is a very mental sport. That's a really good point you brought up just because a lot of folks are always focused on like, hey, the team worked on building this great engine or they've really sleeked on the body and very few realize that you guys are human beings. I mean, you have to have the confidence and the mental fortitude to do what you do uh, on a weekly and yearly basis. So I think that's really um, insightful of you to bring that up just because, you know, even for journalists like, like me, I, I'm not going to do my best if I don't feel like I'm going to do the story really well. So I totally get what you're saying for sure. And I think it's cool that you're kind of like writing it on the Larson line, if you will, to figure out, hey, that's what I need to do. So some risk taking kind of built some confidence. And I think that's uh, it, that's pretty apparent in terms of being a successful driver, to say the least. And that's why you're still there um, doing what you're yeah. doing. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. I think that's like a, um, you pointed out, like people, you know, thinking that you know, not knowing that drivers are human beings. And I think that's one big thing I noticed over in Europe as well, going back to that is that, you know, a lot of the, a lot of people who would come to the racetracks seem to have just the utmost respect of even, you know, the slowest race car driver. And, you know, I think that's a big difference between European American cultures that, you know, even if they're not the greatest driver, you know, they still have respect for them, you know, for doing the tough thing of driving a race car. So, um, so yeah, that that's that's one another difference I noticed in Europe. I kind of hope that cult, that mentality comes here to the states, just because this is a demanding sport. I mean, you can love it all you want, but you guys in the Xfinity series do about what thirty four races a year. That's still something like that. Like that's still a lot. I mean, you don't see your family and friends a lot. Um, I mean, I'm sure you have friends on the racetrack, but that's a that's, that's a big ask sometimes. Yeah, we stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least, uh, for sure. Now, another question that uh, one of my writers thought about, it's kind of a more off-track one. You mentioned about kind of having the mental fortitude, and I'm sure there's a little bit of physical uh, focus as well, getting fit and uh, prepared for these grueling races. Um, so one of my writers asked, wanted to ask you rather, you know, are there certain songs that you listen to when you're working out that may surprise fans at home? Like I'm sure young drivers like you listen to rock or hip hop, but is there an artist or a song that would surprise my, our fans here? I don't know. If there's anybody, anything that would uh, surprise uh, people as far as artists go, but um, you know, uh, I also, one of my other roommates is also Brad Perez and uh, he, he calls all of the music that I listen to dad rock. So um, yeah. And so um, but luckily for most people in the gym, I don't actually have control over the music. So I, it's, it's just in control of whoever's the trainer that day. And so, um, so when I'm training my, my, uh, trainer Curtis Wallace, he'll put on 
you know, some, some hip hop and some R and B and all that stuff. So it's, uh, usually some, some good stuff to jive to, and it's a good change of pace. So yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. Bad rock though. That, that intrigues me because we talked about this before the interview. Um, I'm about a decade or so older than you. Uh, so I'm curious, what do you define as dad rock? Well, it's, it's Brad's term and he actually described how you figure it out. Um, uh, a little while ago, he said, look at the um, go to any concert of a band that I listen to and look at the uh, average age of a person standing in the concert. And, uh, you know, it's it's kind of sad, but true, because like, <laughs> I look at them and it's usually like 30 or 40 year olds around me. So I'm just like, oh, well, OK, so that, that's cool. <laughs> hey, sometimes we older folks happen to have good taste. So if your scenes Metallica or I'm trying to think well, Soundgarden's not around anymore, unfortunately, but that would I listen, be... I listen I, to Soundgarden. Yeah, I, I consider them a little, little bit of dad rock, even though they don't obviously sadly perform anymore, but I love their stuff. And um, especially now that I'm older, I'm like, I can kind of jive with these lyrics a lot more these days. So that's kind of a funny uh, thing that your your tia, roommate thought about, uh, to say the least. Now, you, let's kind of talk about the Jordan Anderson situation a little bit more. And like you talked about how the culture is going to be a little bit more fun. It's a really driver's mentality driven type of team. So, I mean, you talked about the ambiance, of course. I, of course, have to ask about the expectation side of things. What do you and Jordan hope to accomplish this year, especially with his team going into their second Xfinity series season? Well, you know, I, um, I think that, um, I want to do as much as I can to back up my performance last year. So now we, we finished eighth in the points, I believe, um, eighth and ninth in the points. And we, um, obviously got that win. So I feel like, you know, based on my experience with the 93 and my experience with the two car, um, and also in the 21 car while I was running the 93, that, you know, I don't think it's out of the question for me to win a race this year. Now, granted the competition is going to be stiffer this year. You know, you got, more people and better rides. And, um, there's just going to, it's probably gonna be the highest level of competition we've seen probably since, but since 2019. So, um, so yeah, that's, I think that's, you know, one thing I'm looking forward to is just seeing how competitive things are going to be and, you know, who all we have to race against because, you know, the field has been mostly consistent for the last couple of years. Um, you know, with maybe a couple of drivers leaving for cup, but nothing like, you know, in 2019 where, you know, the three biggest competitors left after they were finished with their year. So, um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's totally reasonable for me to go and win another race. Um, and that's kind of my goal is, you know, back that up and, you know, as best as I can prove that this is a, this is a good car and that, you know, we can do this and I can do this and, you know, we're, we're a force to be reckoned with. So um, I think we're going to turn a lot of heads here this year. And that's probably my biggest goal. I think you've mentioned a lot about what makes the Xfinity series, such an appealing division of the big three in NASCAR. I mean, a lot of folks on social media often say, well, I love the cup series, but the Xfinity series tends to be the best racing series of the entire weekend. And what you described right there is the biggest selling point. That was actually one of my questions. So you kind of like probed into my list of questions already, <laughs> but um, I'm excited to see how the season plays out. I mean, even though team Penske doesn't have an effort this year, like you said, a lot of the uh, drivers have gone onto different rides. You've got a different ride. And there's no reason not to believe that you could be in that mix, not only for race victories, but maybe for the playoffs. So it'll be fun to watch as the year progresses. Um, I got a couple more questions for you before we wrap up this edition of your journal. 
And I'm going to take it back to 2002 when a very cheeky but sometimes unnoticed moment from the Daytona 500, 500 occurred. And yes, it does involve your dad. I don't know if you've seen this before, <laughs> but during a pit stop report, your dad, Marty, understandably made a gaffe when he reported how a member of Jeff Burton's team had the car run over by his foot. So have you seen this particular moment on race replays? And are there times that, you know, not during an interview just with me, but like when you're in the car that you catch yourself saying something silly, but you meant to say something serious instead? Um, I can't, I can't say that I have. Well, nothing specifically. There's like, there's vague memories coming up in my mind right now, but um, you know, I, I do try and keep it light most times on the radio, you know, now granted it's, it's a race and, you know, there's things that'll, you know, make me mad or make others mad and all that. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I try and keep a light on the radio. So, but I do know that there is a clip on YouTube called Marty Snyder's bad day. And that actually is a compilation of, I think it was, I don't know if it was, it was one random, Daytona 500 I think practice day or they were I know they were at Daytona and they were talking about he was talking to random drivers about you know how their cars were doing and everybody was just ragging on my dad for asking odd questions and I don't know why <laughs> they were it seemed like they all had a pact to just to just bully my dad that one specific day but it got recorded on TV and now it's on YouTube and you can go find it so um it's always kind of funny to look that up and just see because the driver's just like, why would you ask that? <laughs> so I don't know if they just developed a pack that day, but it's, it's funny. And we kind of laugh about it now. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think your dad's the kind of reporter that when he approaches a driver that you guys would go, Oh man, it's going to be him asking. I'm sure if you see me, you're like, Oh, it's Rob. Let's get away from Rob. <laughs> no kidding. But uh, no, your dad's one of the greatest in the sport. And um, I haven't had the chance to really talk to him, but I would put him up there with Dr. Dick Bergeron um, and of course the late Steve Burns in terms of having that authentic connection with fans and the, and the personalities in the sport, just because he makes you guys the focus. He doesn't inject himself into the stories. So I think that's why he's such one of the greats uh, around in sports to say the least. Now for my last question for you, it's kind of an unusual one. I'm sure you've had your fair share of memorable fan experiences over the years, but what has to be the weirdest autograph experience you've had so far? Oh man. Um, there's been quite a few. Um, obviously things are a little bit different now with COVID. Like it's autograph sessions are fewer and farther between now. And it's more just kind of a special event than something that happened at every race. So um, I want to say I was going to a, a conference um, to represent a sponsor and they had one of their um they had one of their vendors i think uh at the show and he was trying to help his uh his wife into the car and he was making all of these weird odd gestures doing that while he was putting her in the car and i was just like all right buddy you uh you do that i'm, I'm gonna go and uh you have fun so yeah you, you run into all sorts of odd folks racing but uh that's what makes it fun. And that's why we do it. Like, I'm trying to picture that story. And I don't know how you did not like crack up or like 
bust out I laughing. I think I was just standing there with my jaw agape because it hadn't really set in like what he was doing quite yet. And uh, <laughs> I, I was like, started looking around trying to see if there's any kids around who shouldn't be seeing something like that. So I was like, <laughs> okay, all right, time to go. <laughs> Pack it up. This is not stuff that's going to be on even YouTube uh, premium. This is mm-hmm. this is stuff I can't unsee for the rest of mm-hmm. my life, to say the least. Did you have any other parting words you want to say to the racing fans and to NASCAR fans out there? Uh, I just wanted to say, don't forget to slay it with Tax Slayer on your taxes this year because uh, they make it fast and easy and they get you your maximum refund. So why wouldn't you? And of course, you get to you get to support me while doing it. So why wouldn't you? Well, that was another jam-packed edition of TPF Live, episode number 17. And I'm so glad we got to have most of the crew from TPF joining us today. Steven had some great thoughts, Taylor as well. And Luis, really glad that you got to come back again after your first appearance earlier on our run for TPF Live. And Nathan, of course, great to have you back on our show after you uh, were on Radio Row with our radio station at St. Bonaventure Radio. Now, before we wrap things up, you know, of course, I want to mention about some of the content we have coming up on TPF. So, of course, we got Mike Snyder's journal, which will be publishing on or around after the NASCAR Xfinity Secret Series season opener. And also, I just wrote my Cody Ware article um, for his Daytona 500 pre-race advance. And I have a Joey Logano feature that's coming up about his new paint scheme, as well as embracing his role as the new team leader at Team Penske. Now, Nathan and Luis, how about you guys? What do you guys have on tap for TPF and anything else planned for this coming week? Yeah, so um, I'll be working on some, I guess, some sidebars to help uh, preview the Daytona 500 week. So for really all three series, um, maybe trying to land a, an interview to get a to get my uh, get a new feature out. Of course, back on the uh, on the school and college basketball side of things, a uh, big week for St. Bonaventure got games Monday, Wednesday, Saturday all home. So uh, I'll be there for those, helping out with some. Um, TV stuff, some writing stuff there. Um, obviously, be back on the radio, so back to being back to being busy here on campus. But uh, can't wait, can't wait to get the uh, the grind of the NASCAR season uh, uh, underway. So my first full season with TPF, which I'm really excited about. Absolutely, and that's also TPF's first full season with St. Bonaventure Radio, as we do the whole season of racing. So we've got a lot to cover, my friend, and I'm looking forward to working alongside you. And of course, on the radio show side of things, getting our shows out there each midweek just to kind of split up the monotony at the beginning of the week and getting towards that roller coaster's downhill slide, not in the bad way, but of course, the fun way um, for the work week. How about you, Luis? I know you're heading into Daytona uh, just in time for the duels. I think it boils down as to what happens in the duels who will obviously who will make the 500 because we will have some dnqs may it may it may look like one at the moment there could be two it just boils down when though ny racing officially confirmed the inedible that possibly greg biffle is going to try to make the daytona 500 which he hasn't missed the 500 since 2002 jock villeneuve who's going to be in the 27th game he's trying to make his first daytona 500 same with noah gregson after failing to qualify last year's running. So it's a very interesting one is based on who's are the open teams. You also have Timmy Hill and JJ Yaley 
they it's, it's a lot of things going on yeah it's not as chaotic or dramatic as last year's 500 when it comes to the number of cars entering especially on the open team side of things but there's still plenty of stories that could boil down and if Villeneuve were to make the 500 it'll be quite the tale and hopefully and and if that does happen so I might be doing something related to Villeneuve we have to wait till Thursday of course you'll have your recaps on the 500 itself and probably I'll keep an eye on Arca to see who will win that one because Corey Hive has been unbeatable so and these super speedways but if a guy like Dave Mater the third or Greg Van Alst find a way to get it done, that is a story. Especially if Mater gets it done after coming up just short of winning at a Talladega last year. 1992 All-Star Racer, by the way. That's incredible just to think how a blast from the past could be a contender for the Arca season opener. And certainly, as you mentioned, Corey Heim is certainly one of those drivers who he's like the Sterling Marlin of Arca Super Speedway races as far as I'm concerned. And as long as Ty Gibbs is not entering any of these races, then I think the Arca season... He is not. Oh, so there you go. Why open That's... the field? Or... Yeah, exactly. Ty Gibbs is not in this one. He, he, Corey has the biggest threat in my eyes, probably Drew Dollar. He, he has a super speedway win in his book. And also Daniel Dyer, Roger Karouf could say something about that as well. So we'll see. Well, folks, thank you again for tuning in to another edition of PPF Live on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. For Nathan Sullivan, Luis Torres, Stephen Conley, and Taylor Kitchen, and of course, our special guest, Mike Snyder. This is Rob Tiamps, and thank you for listening to another edition of PPF Live. As I say with every podcast, let's go get that checkered flag. So long, everyone. <laughs>